Ahoy hoy, and welcome to episode 51. Mr. Burns? <laughs> Excellent. Ahoy hoy. Welcome to episode 51 of Q&A Quest. Uh, firmly putting us 50 episodes of he- ahead of how long I thought this show would last. Also how long it probably should have lasted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels. He of... Hold on, I'm going to check something. 7,896 wins in Hearthstone. Oh man, I hate you so much. And with me as always. David McBurney, fan my master, here to tell you that Ahoy Hoy was chosen as Mr. Burns' traditional phone greeting by virtue of the fact that it was the idea put forward by Alexander Graham Bell as how you should greet someone on the phone. <laughs> because he is just that old. He is pretty damn old. Anyway, um, we have some fantastic questions, mostly from Budai, but also from others. Uh, Budai and friends. Budai and friends. Uh, so, what was I going to say? I forget. Um, well, that's a great way for us to start. <laughs> obviously, we've been a little, little slower to the show. Little, I can't talk tonight. A little slower with the shows of late, uh, which is pretty much the norm for the summertime. When yeah, the, do- the dog days of summer. And although, oddly, I've been busier in the summer than other times, but that's a whole different story. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, this is from Budai. It's amazing how much pacing changes a game. For instance, I'm replaying Final Fantasy XII for me the fourth time, so I have a good feel for what the game has always been. But with this new fast-forward button, all of, a, all of a sudden, many things feel different. Not just the combat in dungeons, but also how quickly you get the next story sequence. My question is, does hardware limitation not allow a fast-forward button on most games? Um, but mainly, pacing... A is a game element that sometimes doesn't get the attention it deserves, and it can totally change the feel of a game. What are some games with good and bad pacing? Any thoughts on pacing that you have? Did SNES RPGs benefit from a fast pace? Pacing, pacing, pacing. Semantically satiated. So we're going to pace pace out our questions, or our answers to this question. So let's start with the first one, which I don't think either of us is really equipped to answer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like, maybe... Like, that's probably the case sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Zodiac Job system version of FF12 had the fast-forward button, so it wasn't a, a uh Yeah, but you can go faster in, this in case. Zodiac Age. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, I really wish they had just made it so that, like, you could toggle between all three instead of having to go into the menu and say that you want to toggle between times two or and normal or times four and normal. Yeah. Would have been fine, guys. But yeah, uh, like in in any given game that I've seen it on, like I can only think of a couple. Like the other is Chrono Cross, which has it in its vanilla release. So like, probably not usually hardware. Remember that that was your bonus reward for finishing Chrono Cross. If you wanted to play, if you wanted to replay Chrono Cross, you had to play less Chrono Cross. A wise choice. All right, all right, not no, no, not gonna, not gonna. (laughs) Not having that fight right now. Um. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, there's really not much to that element of the question. Hardware can sometimes limit it, but um, I wonder if sometimes like people just for don't, more don't... action games, it's probably not usually plausible, but RPGs are yeah, a little different. I, I don't think that's a crutch you want developers to fall back on. Well, our game runs kind of slow, so let's slap a fast-forward button in there. Hey, Bravely Default. Um, <laughs> bravely Default. Wow, rip. But, uh, uh, so yeah, pacing. Pacing's uh, a big one. I mean, I the Budai, I think people put a, a lot more uh, emphasis on pacing than you may think. Because I I feel like I've seen it in a lot of reviews. Maybe this is just an RP gamer thing, but I feel like this is brought up a lot. Maybe not necessarily using the word pace, but. Yeah, it's it's really important, especially in an RPG where uh, it's you know something you're expected to play for many hours on end. So how it uh, so how it kind of tailors the early part of the experience can really affect whether or not you actually go into all those hours. I have like this terrible like grand unifying thesis that I was coming up with when I read this question. <laughs> That basically started with, like, one of the reasons that, like, FF7 was able to pull people in in a way that a lot of, like, its predecessors weren't was not just that it was, you know, whiz-bang CG graphics, but also just the fact that it immediately starts with fights and explosions. No, I think there's I think there's a lot to that, because I still actually like going back and just, like, messing around in the opening of that game, because it's got the music, it's got the action, it's just, it's a good opening. It's a really good hook, and yeah. so, like, by the time that it slows down, you're already drawn in. Yeah. And a lot, especially before it, a lot of RPG openings were very slow. Yeah. Like, 6 has a pretty good opening. I mean, it starts with a, uh... Like, it's very moody and atmospheric, but it's not as immediately, like, action. Yeah, right. And then, like, the lower-tier RPGs, you would just be like, oh, you're a, here, go do a... Go do a fetch quest for your village because you're like a village boy, and then slow like after an hour of doing a tutorial quest or like a basic quest, like oh your village is destroyed now. And it's like you, like there are worse ways to start, but you've already wasted those first few minutes. Yep. And like I, I feel like that's one of those things that like Final Fantasy for the most part never did again was, like, once you got to 7, like, it always starts with something except, like, 8, which for some reason, like, the demo starts you with the big whiz-bang, but 8 proper starts with, oh, you're in the hospital because you got beaten up. Yeah, that... that well, it, um, it's, got the, it's got the flashy opening. Uh, yeah, the flashy CGI opening now. is enough that it probably worked. They probably couldn't get away with it again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see, what did 9 do? Like, 9's very opening immediately thrusts you into a fight and sets you off on a caper. Yeah, I really like 9's opening. Yeah, 9's opening really is interesting like because... 9's opening is interesting because it's inherently less serious than its predecessors, but it's still, like... You get into a fight, and it's obviously silly, but you get into the fight, you immediately are doing something, and then they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna rob the castle and we're gonna kidnap the princess. Yeah. It introduces uh, the majority of the the main cast through that whole opening sequence. Yeah, like there's there's an interesting 
way of like intermingling that. So like you know what is inevitably going to happen at this like I want to be your canary, but you also like it then flashes over to Vivi who is observing it from the outside. He's just like I just want to see this. What what? <laughs> and yeah, like it, it it's. It's a much less whiz bang opening, but at the same time, like it, it, it does it. It builds up to like a really interesting place, and like it, it, it demonstrates that you don't have to be immediately like here's everything that's happening, but at the same time, you do have to have like that hook of like where is this going? Yeah, I think if you want to do a slower opening like that, it's a lot harder to pull together. Like I'm thinking of. Uh, Dragon Quest Seven, which obviously yeah. very notoriously has a slow opening, but it has a slow opening for a reason. It's just it doesn't. How many people even reached the end of that opening while still caring? <laughs> right. Uh, it just it, and I mean personally, I like that opening, but I absolutely understand why anyone wouldn't like it because it's very slow. And it, the point is to kind of build up this mystery around the world and everything. It just doesn't do a great job of kind of hooking you in immediately. Yeah. Like, just thinking about Nine again, like, imagine Nine's opening, except you just start as Vivi. You don't see the initial si- scene as Zidane. Like, at that point, like, that opening, sh- like, shatters into a thousand pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Because by the time something interesting is happening, it's well, one, it's obviously confusing. But like, even aside from that, like, by the time something is happening, you've already been wandering around as Vivi trying to get into "I Want to Be Your Canary" for like half an hour, <laughs> forty-five minutes, <laughs> and you've gotten into five races with Hippol and wondering why you bothered. <laughs> Go to Play Online to find out. Oh, Play Online! <sighs> I think I think they still actually have that online, by the way. Why? Um, I don't know. I guess FF11 hasn't completely shut down yet, maybe? I don't know. I have not actually checked in the past year? <laughs> I mean, it may have just been like an internet archive page I saw when I looked at it, but I remember okay. like going there. Okay, no, I just looked at FF11's, like, Twitter feed, and it says the August version update has landed. Oh yeah, F11 itself is definitely still there. Like sure. it never completely disentangled from Play Online, is the thing. Yeah. Man, they had such plans for Play Online, but yeah, like I'm I'm just trying to think of like bad openings. Um, like I remember the most, the most like well, the 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 most perfect review of Suicoden 3's opening that I ever saw was like. Someone describing that it took the game... They felt that it it was uh, the PlayStation Magazine uh, US review of it. And they they talked about how they really... Like, the game really got interesting about 20 hours in. Wasn't that and the case And it's unacceptable with... for a game to take that long to get interesting. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the case with uh, 5 as well? I do not know. I have not played a significant portion of 5. I've... Like, there's some interesting things happening right at the beginning of 5, but, like, uh, 3 kind of has that issue where, like, it it's trying to do the weave-in, sev- like, the, a bunch of principal cast members right at the beginning, because it has the Trinity site system, where you start out as one character, and then you swap to another, and then you swap to another, and it's just, yeah, it, it like, that's where that breaks down. It just takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's see. Trying to like, there's there's a lot of RPGs where it's just like a, a really old one where it just like not much happening here. Uh, I was recently replaying Wild Arms One's intro, and like Wild Arms customarily did like each character gets a prologue intro, and like. That means that sometimes the, your first impression of the game can be really interesting, and sometimes it can be really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Depending upon whose intro you chose. But yeah, like, that, that's a weird game. Like, that, that was a weird mechanic. I think they finally killed it in Wild Arms 4? They stuck with that for a really long time. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, I don't particularly think Dragon Quest VIII's opening is great. I actually like VIII more than I like VII's. <laughs> That's fair. It's just... I don't know. I guess the, the reason I would argue in favor of VIII's is because VIII is so much about the spectacle of wandering through an open field. And VIII gives you a reason to wander into that beautiful like first area within like five minutes. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Maybe this is more an issue on like when I was obviously I've played it recently on 3DS, where the beautiful open area it doesn't necessarily look as nice. Yeah, so it's I not really as pretty, as but I, I I still feel like it it brings it across. But that's also because I have a lot of memories of the original. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I I appreciate its opening. It's not perfect, but it's also not super long to get you from start to dungeon. You've already got like the amu like the character interactions between like Genghis and uh and man, why am I spacing the king's name? Uh, Trode is uh are, are like spot on from word one. Yeah. That's one of my favorite just like dumb things in any game. It's like the running gag where like Trode sneaks up behind Yangus and Yangus gets terrified of him for a second. <laughs> and then like partway through the game he just sort of gets sick of it. He's he do, he go he goes through the motions and then it's just sort of like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, to each, like there's a lot of personal opinion about what how what kind of pacing is the wrong kind of pacing. Yeah. You know, like it, a lot of it can just be what you're looking for in a game. If you want something that's going to hook you immediately, then uh, as good as any slower opening can be, it may just absolutely not hook you no matter what. So, yeah, and it might even depend on your mood or just the kind of messaging that the games uh, that the game started you with. I mean, like the uh, like people sort of ex like I guess. The way I would put at it, put it is like I don't like Demon Souls, but its its intro very much sets about the game's thesis very well. Yeah. Like you start that game, you wander out of a sewer. Everything is a nightmare, and then you get to the end of the intro, and like unless you're some sort of idiot savant, you are dying very quickly. <laughs> Quite possibly, no. even if you are an idiot savant. Yeah, like, the game will kill you even if you succeed, but at the same time, like, yeah, you have to be completely nuts to be able to actually kill that opening boss on your first try. Yeah. 
but that's 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 kind of a like I think that opening is very good, even if I don't actually like the game it's attached to. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst then, of the souls, but it's still really good. Like th- then, of course, to like to speak of another aspect of pacing, one one's not actually a very good opening level. No, it's it's bad <laughs> and brutal. Like, it it well, it's brutal, of course, and like that's expected. But there's also just things like. It's easy to not understand how the edge gravity works and fall through a pit several times. Yeah. Or just, like, uh, it's very easy to miss the first few, like, uh, shortcuts that you can open up. And yeah. that can create situations where you're having to replay much longer stretches of the level than the developer actually wants you to. Like, there, there's some bits where it's just, like, you, you really should have, t- like, placed this right... the Placed this lever that pulls up this, like, gate much more in the in front of the player's eyes so that they would be less likely to be replaying larger portions of the levels than you meant. But yeah, that's that's kind of just a uh, that's an adjacent idea that like you have to bear out that opening somehow. Yeah. Uh, did SNES RPGs benefit from a faster pace? Yeah, probably to an extent. Yeah, that's, that kind of gets back to, like, the technology aspect of this. Like, um, they probably did, but um, they also weren't dealing with, like, loading times and a lot of other factors that um, some that's more a, have to deal with. That, that's a notable thing, like, to, to, go into, to go back to FF9 as a prime example. One of the reasons that people complain that game feels slow is that, like, they were insistent that you were to have four characters to, in your party, and it takes a lot longer to load fights now. Yeah. But, uh... Like, I, I do think that... Not necessarily the beginnings. The beginnings often were the one of the lesser parts of the pace, but I feel like the nature of cartridge space being limited forced games to sometimes cut out things that were not strong material. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's one of the things that was lost in, like, when you get to something like Dragon Quest VII, you get a lot of material that, like, you can see why in a vacuum you wouldn't cut it, because there's nothing wrong with it, it's fine. But at the same time, like, when you take the game in totality, it's like, maybe you could have done with cutting some of these segments, because they don't... Like, all of them are episodic and self-contained, and a lot of them are kind of, like... The game is so long as it is, you could have stood to cut down to stronger material. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Heartbeat, later on to become Genius Sonority. Really? Genius Sonority? Yeah, the creators of Pokemon Coliseum, Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, and the Denpa Men, and maybe Metopia, I believe. Um... Those all yeah. Seem, that. Wow. That's a lot of garbage. They're not awful. That's They're a lot of garbage. Weird. Oh, they also made Dragon Quest swords for the Wii. That's um, not terribly awful. I guess. Yeah, Genius Sonority. Weird company. Weird, weird company. Also, just 
weird that like Heartbeat's entire death is weird because they finish Dragon Quest Seven and the Japanese version of the Dragon Quest Four PS One remake and then declared that like that asset creation was going to drive them out of business and promptly shut down. This is going to drive us out of business, so we're just going to go out of business. Also, essentially. look at look at Dragon Quest Seven on PS One or Dragon Quest Four on PS One, and tell me, yeah, your art assets are so complicated, you'll never survive. <laughs> uh, well, that's also why we didn't get the PS One version of Dragon Quest Four. It was announced for U.S. release, and then Heartbeat just walked off, and no one was there to go about recoding it. <laughs> Which is an impressive middle finger to the one of the largest publishers in existence. <laughs> I'll say. But yeah, like I, I think that there was some benefit to just in general the need to cut down to the strongest material available. Like, I think there's at least one Chrono Trigger dungeon that is acknowledged to have been cut just because it messed with pacing. It's, uh, I would believe I think that. It's called Singing Mountain. That game has really good pacing, so presumably it probably was thinned down. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at this. Uh, I'm looking at a random fan wiki, but it, it seems to tally with what I know about it. So the dungeon was called Singing Mountain, and according to Yasunori Mitsuda, there was a dungeon where that song was used, but because the dungeon didn't contain much, uh, much and there were no problems or anything that advanced the game, it was cut. So inevitably, the song was cut with it. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's one of those things where it's like that. Like Chrono Trigger is the the proof of what a game looks like when you're really having an eye for the pacing throughout its entire development. And I felt like that was that was worthy of bringing up for this to close out this bit of discussion. Yeah. All right. So, shall we move on to the next question? Sure. Right. I hope I have not been interrupting you too much. No, it's all good. I'm rambling incoherently anyway, so you probably should be interrupting me. Lies. <laughs> uh, also from Budai, why are certain games like Dragon Quest always developed outside of house by some other development team? Uh, NX, is a, NX, before the Square Enix merger, merger, was a publisher and had no development arm. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's a... Uh, I, I would be interested. I don't think there's ever been an interview in Eng that ever found its way out in English about what the selection process was for like external Dragon Quest developers. Like Enix, like contracted with Yuji Horii very quickly. Like, okay, your company, your company, quote unquote, Armor Project that consists of you, were contracted with, and. I'm I'm curious, like, who made the selection that like Chunsoft would develop Dragon Quests one through five, or Heartbeat would take over from six, seven, and the remake of four, or level five would do eight and nine, or you know, like, that ten and eleven would be developed in house. Like, I don't know that there's anything that we know about that. Mm. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot. It's also interesting just because a lot of times, like, companies will farm something out to a contract developer or, like, a sub-brand that they don't talk about much. Like, uh, you know, Capcom Flagship? You aware of those guys? 
Oh, sounds familiar. So, like, Flagship was a, like, I think they were technically independent, but, like, they were the developers of a lot of, like, Capcom's late 90s, early aughts games. Like, they were contracted to do, like, I think they're technically the ones responsible for Oracle of Seasons and Ages and for Legend of Zelda, which are, you know co-develop like when you boot up the game you get the nintendo logo you get the capcom logo you probably don't know what flagship is unless you were paying attention during the credits <laughs> uh like i think they're credited on the dino on at least one or two of the dino crisis games i remember they worked on like resident evil zero and three or something like that like it's a weird company that like no one talked about i mean or you get into companies like dimps who do who did like all of the portable sonics for like a decade uh, and I, I think they did. Them. I think they. Hey, they made Tales of the Tempest. Your favorite. Uh, everyone's favorite. You love it. Uh, they did like so, they were somehow involved in the development of Street Fighter Four. I don't know what their capacity was, but they were definitely a team involved with it. But it's one of those things where like. There's some deliberate obfuscation of what contract developers are actually doing. And then, of course, like, there's the infamous one, Tose, which... Who boy, trying to track down everything Tose does, given that they refuse to take credit on most of the games they're contracted for, is really, really hard. kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, they referred to themselves essentially as the ninja developer. Uh, like... The pre- like one of the heads of Tose basically said, our policy is not to have a vision. Instead, we follow our customers' visions. Most of the time, we refuse to put our name on games, not even staff names. Huh. And so, like, if you look it up, you'll find, like, there are, like, they've done a tremendous number of games. Like, so many. You've probably played a handful of them, at the very least, without ever realizing it. And it's bizarre. Like... <laughs> They're, they're by people that you know. Like, they're by companies you know. Like, but the only way people can ever find these out is by doing a lot of investigating because they'll never confirm it. Wow. But, like, there'll be, like, a lot of, a lot of ports or, like, lower priority projects get dumped off onto them. But, like, a lot of stuff that's just, like, huh. Wouldn't have guessed. Like, ugh. I'm trying to think of, like, all of these, because there's so many just weird things that they've been credited as being involved with. The One of the only companies that has ever convinced them to ever actually, cre- like, take credit was Nintendo convinced them to take part in, uh, like, co-ownership of the brand The Legendary Starfy. Like, that's one of the only things that I think their logo has ever appeared on is like, yes, this was partially developed by Tose. Which is just, it's insane if you think about it. Yeah, that's, that, that is pretty insane. And it's just like, oh, here, like all the Final Fantasy PS1 ports, all of those, probably them. Good. <laughs> so, well, I wouldn't want to attach my name to some of those. Yeah, but it's still like, you know, they could get, like, they're credited with like, you know, being being development involvement with the original Dragon Quest monsters. Like their involvement is presumed to have possibly happened with Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner Soul Hackers back on the PlayStation. Huh. 
Like it's it's really hard to get a full accounting of anything like a full accounting of what they do, but it's a lot. And it's it's kind of weird to imagine that like there is a company that is behind probably many games that you've played and you've never heard of them. <laughs> like the company started in nineteen seventy nine. Oh my god. Tosei has developed or co-developed over a thousand games. Oh my god. Like, they are a massive company who never shows up for anything and never, like, puts their name on anything unless they're essentially strong-armed into it. <laughs> Tosei's fascinating. Yeah, now, now I just want to know more about Tosei. It's really hard to get like decent information out of them. I believe the Game Developer Research Institute has some like has an ongoing list of attempts to work out what they've worked on. And some of it's just been like, oh, there's reused bits of code between these games. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm also looking at like some other companies that like uh you know, they do a lot of just like a development assistance, like a lot of Something that's worth noting is that, like, Capcom, they're fighting games. Like, they almost always have some sort of co-developer that's a contract company. Like, Marvel vs. Capcom 3? Co-developed with a company called Aiding. You might know Aiding from PS1 classic Bloody Roar. And a lot, a lot of old shooters back when they were called Rising. Hmm. It's fascinating. They like There's a lot of these, like, weird companies that like, a lot of them, if you look back far enough, you get to something like Atlas in the 1980s with a contract developer that did stuff like this. Weird. Or, like, uh, the developers of some of the finest wrestling games money can buy, Human Entertainment, God rest their soul, they've been dead since, like, 2000. But they were a contract developer on the NES that did a lot, a lot of stuff for things like uh, the... Uh, sports pad game, not sports pad, like that wasn't what that was called on the NES, but the uh, the power pad games. Most of those were developed by Human Entertainment. Hmm. And published by Bandai, and guess what name you were going to see on the box, and if you didn't finish the game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fascinating. The, the world of contract developers, like, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why this happens. Like, I feel like a lot of this is starting to come out of the dark in recent years. Like before the reshuffling on the FF7 remake, we knew like they they brought that internal, but we knew that a lot of the assets were being churned out by CyberConnect 2. Yeah, which is good. CyberConnect yeah. is good. They they do they do amazing work, and I'm everyone buy .hackgu last recode, please. Yes, please. And I'm glad like, it, I'm glad they aren't. Referring to selling it digital only here, because that meant I could sell my copies of the PS2 game. Yeah, no, I, I've while I've, the, while the going is hot. <laughs> yeah, like this now is the time if you've got some to uh, to sell off. I mean, they, it's a it's a gorgeous game that will no doubt uh, upscale very nicely. Yeah, I mean those ports aren't gonna like completely utterly kink in price, but they are gonna go down. Yeah. For sure, and I'm glad that they didn't like leave us hanging about whether Last Recode would be coming to the West, and yeah. they didn't try to sell it separately because it works a lot better when you can just play all three of them as one massive game. Uh, man, I, I can. Oh man, I didn't realize all the things they were including. 
Uh, they're apparently including all the like bonus terminal discs that came with like the special editions. Oh, sweet. Increased movement sleep, uh, speed, more item slots, uh, and apparently like just some new content. Please play it. I love .hackgu with all of my heart. <laughs> yeah. And you need to finally play more than the first part. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, that, I went very long on something that was definitely a uh, kind of separate thought process, so I apologize for that. That's okay. <laughs> I guess we will move on to the next question. Yes, okay. What, what is next? Also from Brudetti. Uh, know a lot of outside graphics development has been used lately by a lot of companies. Is this a more recent trend, or have studios commonly outsourced the graphic work in the past? I think I kind of covered that. Yeah. Just to say, contract development is as old as time. Yeah, and nowadays there's a lot more, uh, I guess... I don't know, my brain uh, equated all of this to, like, engine work, so... Yeah, obviously, that, that... Obviously, there's a lot more popular game engines out there. You'll see uh, you see Unity everything, everywhere, like... Uh, Unity, UE4... Fre uh, freaking Hearthstone runs on Unity. So it yeah. is everywhere. Uh, like, those engines are already ported to every console imaginable, which saves a lot of time if you're trying to get things up and running on a new system. Yeah, and you'll even see a lot of indie games using different engines, like Unity, obviously, uh, Game Maker, some other ones. Game Maker, like I said, UE4 has a surprising amount of hold from the bottom to the top. But, uh... Like, I, I think the first time that I knew that middleware was becoming a big thing in the console space, like, I'm sure it existed more in the PC space, but certainly in the console space, the first time I noticed it was the amount of times that I saw the f word renderware in front of a PS2 <laughs> game. Which was uh, made by Criterion, the developers of Burnout, purchased by EA late in the PS2's life cycle. Strangely, they they don't really do middleware anymore. I don't know what... Like, Criterion just makes racing games now. But renderware was very popular, at least in part because renderware was what powered Grand Theft Auto in the PS2 era. Yep. Uh, like, it's it's one of those things where, like, to, to throw out some more old examples, uh... Mega Man, all of the Game Boy Mega Mans, Mega Man The Wily Wars on Genesis, and Mega Man X3 on Super Nintendo are all in part or in whole developed by a company called Minakuchi Engineering that you've never heard of. <laughs> like, no wait, no. One of, the, one of the Game Boy games, I believe it's Mega Man 2, is developed by another company, but 1, 3, 4, and 5 are all developed by Minakuchi Engineering. But that other company that developed uh, Mega Man 2 on Game Boy is not Capcom either. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, these companies have existed for a very long time. Uh, or to go back even further, there's a reason that Nintendo never sells you arcade Donkey Kong. They always sell you like a hacked version of the NES version to include more arcade elements. And that's because uh, there was some sort of co-developer involved with the original Donkey Kong, and it requires licensing issues to make that, to sell that original version. 
Weird, good, isn't it? <laughs> good old licensing issues. But uh, yeah. Uh, Strawberry Eggs had a pretty good set of questions. Yes, let's jump into those. Uh, do, do, do. People, people often want. Oh, God. People often want sequels to games, especially good ones that are standalone or haven't had a new entry in years. Can you think of any games that you love would, but would be happy if it never received a sequel? Oh, probably. <laughs> uh. Like, in terms of non-RPGs, there's probably more of them, but, like, RPGs, I can think of, like, The World Ends With You, as much as I would be fine with a sequel, I think it's fine being a single statement in its, in its totality. Yeah. Like, it's it's a beautiful game from start to end, and I'm glad that it happened, and I'm glad that, like, that it, it could have happened as it did, and essentially was, like, a creation... Like singular in its intent, and explored all of its ideas, and then left. Yeah. <laughs> Been thinking a lot about the world ends with you recently, since that uh, recently passed its tenth anniversary. Yeah, and I have not actually finished a playthrough of that, so I need to do that. Very good. Uh, I remember there's a there's there was a Twitter thread by one of the people that helped localize it, where they talked about some of the other uh, uh, some of the other proposed titles, I believe, were mentioned. Let me see if I can find this while you you try to think of something. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of I think Final Fantasy games that I fantasized about having sequels for as a kid that uh, would probably be better off not having sequels. Like one of the big things as a kid was always, oh my god, what if they ever do like a sequel to Final Fantasy VI? But I knew that was the one you were going to say, yeah. and it's just like it doesn't make any sense to. No. It would it would not work. So all magic is dead from the world. Now let's go on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad they never listened to my childhood self and did, never did that. So especially if you saw the FF5 sequel anime, which is very bad. I have. It is quite bad. I'm so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh. Okay. I found that Twitter feed. Uh. It was. Basically, he talked about... Uh, it was one of the localizers on it, and he talked about... Uh, he had just left Square Enix, and he played it at TGS 2006, and immediately sent an email begging to let him translate it. Oh, I did see this. Yeah, it was great. Uh, <laughs> I asked to bring Justin on as co-translator, because A, he's a talented artist, and B, he knew all the things about fashion I didn't. <laughs> Okay, apparently the runner-up for World Ends With You was a world worthwhile. Uh, eh. World Ends With You is more evocative. Yeah. And apparently was the one that Nomura favored. I've actually been playing it on uh, tablet, which, I, which just works better for me. Even though the yeah, if you have difficulty splitting cool. your attention. Even if you have difficulty splitting your attention, then like the tablet version is fine. Yeah. Which, I think uh, that the uh, I, I think the DS version is a better product overall, but like it's I, I guess not a better product per se, but like a more 
it, it, the the dual screen setup fits more with the game's themes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and I know there had been some problems with uh, like the uh, iOS version, with, like did not work on the latest iOS f for a while, but it has been updated and should be running on the latest stuff. Yes, iOS updates seem to break games a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, Apple seems to be doing that a lot lately, and it's really pissed me off. Like, uh, tangent here. Uh, the late, the, so the, the upcoming version of macOS is going to be the last version that fully supports 32-bit applications, right? Quote, unquote, fully. <laughs> fully. But it will fully support 32-bit applications. So naturally, when I installed the beta, all the 32-bit applications I had installed stopped working, including StarCraft, which I really wanted to play. And was the first, the first thing I started up after installing the beta. I'm so glad there's still support. Oh, <laughs> thankfully the remaster comes out shortly, and which I, I'm gonna obviously gonna play over the original anyway. But god damn it. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we could we could probably write, we could probably give you an entire episode and just be sort of sad about Apple, but it's, it's compatibility is so important. Like if you want to do that on a phone, whatever. I I, I do not care. I'm annoyed, but you you can do I, it. Yeah, I do not care. Those things are replaced often, and and like the the yeah. internals of the hardware is changing so constantly that. But this is a freaking computer. This is supposed to be something that, like, power users are supposed to be able to use. Like, uh, if you wanna, if you wanna make 32-bit applications, oh, you have to install this thing separately, or you have to install like our developer package, or install something so that you can do it. Fine. Removing it completely, I, I don't understand. Like, <sighs> legacy support. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be the point where I, some random, crappy 30-bit application I can't run. At, but hey, look, I can go ahead and fire up a, a virtual machine of Windows and run it there, or run it through Wine, and that's just stupid. The fact just that both stupid. of those would work better should never be the case. Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, trying to think of any Mac anything else that I would be happy never seeing a sequel to. Dear, dear Apple, Mac OS is not iOS. Stop treating it like it is. Dear Apple, please stop making sequels to Mac OS. <laughs> yeah, trying to think of... Got anything else you can think of? Or it's like, no, nah, I'm fine with that ending the way it did. Um, Residence of Fate, as much as I would like another game like that. It's, it's yeah, fine. no, it's, it's fine. It, it is like it's it's interesting because like it's a game that like on some level you could make tons of sequels to it because there's like ob because it feels like even though there's all this world building in the background you're still only ever looking at one moment in time. Yeah, but at the same time there's no need for any either. Yeah. <laughs> There was interesting world building, but the game was primarily about the three main characters and their story reaches a logical conclusion, and you don't really. You don't need more. It's it's done. It's good. Yeah. It's a very self-contained game, and it's kind of beautiful in that. We don't get those that often, really. Yeah. Um, Everything needs to pretend that it can have a sequel. I'm going to bring up an interesting one. Persona 4. Yeah. I don't... I know there's kind of been sequels. I don't... It. 
I don't, I mean, I'm fine playing with them, obviously, but it doesn't, it, it's fine. It doesn't need any more. I, I feel like, I feel like it's telling that none of those sequels are RPGs. Yeah. Like, you get, you get Persona Q, which kind of, but, like, none of them are Persona games, per yeah. se. And Persona Q doesn't take place, like, after Persona 4 anyway, right? It's kind of no, no. It, it's in the middle. middle. Yeah, it takes place at a very specific point in Persona Four. Yeah, but I mean, you can kind of say that for probably most of the Persona games, although I haven't finished five. That like, you reach the end, kind of done everything with all the world-saving stuff, and now they it's time for them to just lead regular lives, and you don't need to do more than that. I feel like five could sustain a sequel. I don't think Atlas will, but I think it was designed that its characters could continue to do things. Interesting. Not necessarily Persona things, but, like, that they could have more stories. If it, it's... Yeah, I'm trying to very specifically not spoil you on anything, okay. but, like, five, 5 has a really fun ending that I really enjoy. But, uh, yeah, I, I admire the fact that like, Atlas was has been careful, like, any time they, they put out, like, a spin-off or sequel to a Persona game, it's never in a way that, like, it, it's always in such a way that you can just cast it off and not think about it, because it's not really a sequel in a game sense. Like, there's, there are more stories about the characters, and, like, there are varying degrees of quality, but, like, no part of it feels like I need to play this to really feel like I've wrapped up my time with these people. Yeah. They're just more stories. <laughs> <laughs> and too bad. Now you're playing Persona 3 Dancing Moon Knight and Persona 5 Dancing Star Knight. <laughs> I will probably play Persona 5 Dancing Star Knight. I don't honestly feel the need to play Persona 3 Dancing Moon Knight. Yeah. Persona 5 soundtrack is better anyway. <laughs> Give me some nice jazz to dance to. But, uh... Let's see. I'm trying to think, like... It's one of those things where it's like trying to find games that didn't already long past the point where I would have been fine with them ending is actually probably harder. <laughs> I what what's what more oh I thought of one that I'm fine with the fact that there was never a sequel to even though I would totally play one Ghost Trick Phantom Detective for the DS huh. if you've never played that it's a wonderful wonderful game by uh, Shu Takumi the director of the first four Ace Attorney games uh, it's an entirely self-contained story it's got gorgeous animations great puzzles really memorable characters uh, excellent music and art, like absolutely top-notch from top to bottom. Never got a sequel, never needed one. Very, very good. Please play it. <laughs> I have played the demo. It's good. Play more of it. Do yeah. it, nerd. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> Sorry. Get out. Not my thing. You're out of my will. It was fine, it's just... Um... Out of... I'm disowning you. Oh. I'm sure I will send I will send back whatever terrible thing you're threatening to send me with like a return to sender also I hate you. <laughs> but but in my defense, I didn't buy it at all. 
That's worse. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Uh, here's here's a more fun game. I would have been fine with there being no more Star Ocean games after two. <laughs> yeah. That's a meaner thing. I'd like Star Ocean Five. I enjoy Star Ocean Five, but like if I I would have been fine being spared three and four. <laughs> yeah. Like F three. Yeah, actually, really bad. Screw that damn game. Yeah, like it's it's one of those things where like a lot of times you'll see it and it's just like I wish you would have ended more a few games ago. <laughs> that's usually when a series dies. It's like when it's several games past its sell by date. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe don't maybe don't do any more of that, please. <laughs> But yeah, I guess I guess we've basically I've basically beat this question to death. <laughs> yeah, I can't really think of anything else right now. I should have I should have stopped this uh, several answers ago. <laughs> uh, let's see, what was where's the next question? It's to die. Is there a lack of color in games these days, or do you feel RPGs and others have already gotten out of the brown and gray trend of last gen? Was there a brown and gray trend last year? It generally month? wasn't so much in RPGs as much as it was in, like, shooters and other things. Yeah. It got really bad in, like... Like, look at a screen of, like, say, Killzone and see how much of the game is just gray, gray, different shade of gray. Red. Here's an orange... Here's orange eyeballs. But yeah, I don't. I don't feel like that was ever pervasive in RPGs. But hey, those Killzone people. I heard they eventually made a really good game or something. Yeah, they did eventually. <laughs> I thought when they made an RPG, even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of those things where I feel like it was, or like uh, Metal Gear Solid Four has a really dull use of color, especially compared to its immediate predecessors and successors. I feel like uh, being at least somewhat more colorful has actually become the trend at this stage. I mean, like, that's that's one of the ways that they try to sell you, like, a PS4 Pro or Xbox One X. Is uh, It took me a second to remember it's not called Scorpio anymore. Uh, or Xbox One X is that, like, oh, we've got uh, HDR colors. Like, you can, there's, there's a greater color palette now. Is it HDR that I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, yeah it's no HDR color space, I think. But I'm trying to think of like some of the big RPGs last gen, thinking things that were. I mean, Dragon Age obviously didn't have a ton of color, but there was stuff like, look at Mass Effect. I'd say that would fit into the definition of colorful. Yeah, it's reasonably colorful. Like it's it's still some like semi-realistically art styled, but it's like it's not. It's not as dung gray, dung brown as uh, much of Dragon Age tends to be. Yeah, Dragon Age literally has an entire section where you're in a monochrome world for three hours. That was maybe a poor choice. <laughs> uh, if you ever play Dragon Age Origins on PC, remember that the skip the fade mod is one of the most important that's ever been made. <laughs> uh, yeah. Concerning the Switch and the NES SNES minis, do you feel there is real 
uh, artificial shortages of these systems. What is to be gained by limiting the sales of something versus having more sold? Is it wanting something more if you can't have it? Well, yeah, for sure, to some extent. Like, like to an extent, but I don't, I don't think that... Certainly the Switch is not artificially limited because by virtue of the fact that Nintendo Nintendo would have a lot of answers to be giving their shareholders about why they're not selling something, selling, like, they have a target for how many they want to sell of Switches in the first year, and it's like 13 million, and they can't do that because they can't produce enough of them. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that the Switch's processor is a Tigra X1, which is apparently a very popular one. Yeah being used in a number of objects, so they have to fight for them. Nintendo is not nearly as large as Sony and Microsoft. They do not not have the clout to essentially, like, say, no, you're going to sell us these. Yeah. So. Like, they have to sort of... I think they're essentially... They're fighting with mobile manufacturers, which means they're fighting huge companies to get as many Tigras as they need. Yeah. So you run into like oh, we like they legitimately can't like as for NES and SNES Mini, I don't know what's inside them. <laughs> yeah, like, let me do a quick look at what was inside the NES Mini. Uh, I think it's just like some generic Linuxy thing. It might even be like a uh, Raspberry Pi. I'm trying to work out what's, it's not a Raspberry Pi literally uh, but yeah it's, it's one of those things it's, yeah I've, it's one of these I've never even heard of this CPU and GPU what's the CPU? Let me let me Google this a bit just to work out that like this isn't someone like selling me a line. Let's see, oh, it's it's some sort of ARM processor. Okay. Let's see, yeah, like this sends me to an ARM Cortex A7. Hmm. Which. Uh, yeah, uh, and guess what? This is okay. And yeah, they seem to be using one like manufactured by a company called All Winner. But, yeah, it's it's a system on a chip. So I don't think it, it's necessarily a manufacturing issue there. It just it's not really it probably shouldn't be their focus. I don't think they make a ton of money off of it. It's one of those things where the thing that's stopping them from making a lot of NES and SNES minis is probably, like, a combination of factors. They don't want to, like, put a bunch of assembly lines on them because, like, there's really only so much demand for them. Like, if S- if NES minis and SNES minis were as... were common enough that everyone could immediately get one, you would probably find that there really isn't that much demand for them. Yeah. Like, there's an appearance of greater demand, again, because, yeah, people want what they can't get. But at the same time, it's like, if you're a company that's selling something like this, like, 
there's a lot of logistics that work differently for something that has no expandability. Like you can't, they can't sell you more SNES or NES Mini unless they sell you another product entirely. Like there's no expandability, which means that any any sort of market, any sort of profit they make has to be on the initial thing. They have to convince stores to set. To sell it, which was probably a little harder for the NES Mini because everyone had just taken a bath on Wii U's, so like that probably hurt their supply line, their supply chain. Uh, and then it's just sort of like, okay, they sold you an NES Mini, and like you liked that, that was neat. There's really only so much more that you need. To, there's really only so much more they can do with it. Like some of it might also have just been how long they were allow- allowed by the licensing agreements they signed to sell. Like, because a lot of the games on the NES Mini were third party, and same with the SNES Mini. To be fair, like they're third party. I have no idea how long those licenses were that allowed them to sell them. Like, how like how long was Square going to say, yeah, sure, you can sell Final Fantasy on your NES Mini for as part of like a collection of thirty games and at like sixty dollars? <laughs> like yeah sure we're down with that how long do you intend to do it because the second the, like, cause how long, like I can't imagine how long that contract was for can't have been that long yeah like I would imagine that some of it's just that like part of the way to make the game make the thing cost effective is to only license them for a tiny fraction of time like a- anything that relied on like paying out individual publishers based on how well the thing sold would would eat up any money that was made by it in seconds just because <laughs> of the amount of because of the amount of games on it like once you're at 30 and like half of them are published by other companies like you've already got too many mouths to feed like now we have to pay Tecmo, Capcom, Konami, like Square, probably a few others I'm forgetting. Like uh, I think in Japan they had to pay Arxis for the Techno games on the thing, the uh, freaking uh, River City Ransom, the Kunio Kun. That's what I'm thinking of. The Kunio Kun games that are on there in Japan. I don't think there's any Kunio Kuns on the U.S. one, but still, like they'd have to pay Arxis for those. Like all of these would have to be licensed for like a period of time. I'm not sure how long, but I can't imagine a, t- a tremendously long one to make this yeah. make sense financially. It's probably even worse in Japan because they had like Final Fantasy three, which oh, is the three, bigger deal yeah. there. So, what third-party games are on the SNES Mini? Final, uh, Final Fantasy, I know that. Uh, like, it's a lot. Uh, okay, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. Uh, we have. The first five are all... Okay, we've got Street Fighter 2. That can't have been cheap. Super Castlevania 4. Donkey Kong Country, they need to license. Mega Man X. Final Fantasy 6. Secret of Mana. Contra 3, The Alien Wars. Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars probably has some sort of licensing associated with it. Yeah. Uh, And Super Ghosts and Goblins. So that's split among about four companies. Let's see, we've got Square for Super Mario RPG and FF3. Uh, you've got Konami for Contra 3 and Castlevania 4. Uh, we've got Rare slash Microsoft for uh, Donkey Kong Country. And we've got uh, Capcom for Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting and 
Super Ghouls and Ghosts. So basically, like, split up among four companies. Uh, uh, a 22-game lineup. And one of those is a company that they, they're probably not super huge on paying. Like, they're probably not really big on the idea of having to license Donkey Kong Country yeah. from, from Microsoft. Because, like, they may own the characters, but the code is obviously not theirs because it keeps going up and down on virtual console services. <laughs> but, uh... I... The re- as for the rest, like... Part of the reason that we're getting all these Super FX games seems to be that the patent on the Super FX chip has ended now. So, like... It just became cost-effective to do to like properly, like without any sort of reverse engineering, properly emulate like Star Fox, Star Fox to Yoshi's Island. Like all of those probably just became cost-effective. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of those like there's probably I'm interested in the kind of contracts that were drawn up for the NES and SNES Mini because it would probably be fairly uh, illuminating. Mm. So is Yoshi's Yoshi's Island is on the mini? Yeah. Okay. It's the SNES version. It's the first time they've re-released the SNES That's version. Right. Guess I should sell my cart. If you can get hold of, if you can get a pre-order on an SNES mini, be my uh, guest. Well, I am pre-order eBay. Doesn't matter. I am acquiring one. <laughs> Send <care>. me one. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, that's uh, that's how it goes. Like, yeah. also, I, I doubt. I, I would imagine that it's one of those things where like they can't manufacture them after a certain period. So, yeah. also another thing on the Switch, they have been periodically available and like available for long periods of time. Like not necessarily selling out like that. So, I think it's games, one of those things. GameStop still has bundles up if you really want. Yeah, to. well, that, that's one of the things is that like once you have to buy like five other objects, like people tend to bulk. But I guess the other thing is more just that, like, people are used to being able to walk into a store and not have to think about it. So the, yeah. se- the fact that you have to think about it at all for the Switch creates a mystique of, like, are they hi- are they hiding all the spare ones? And it's like, <laughs> no, it's just, there's not that many made, and, like, they're still pretty desirable objects, so. Yeah. Yeah, you end up with this in this unpleasant wasteland. Hmm. Alright. Hmm. Who we got next here? From Victor. I will not believe the 3DS is dying dead until I see one physically buried in a coffin with roses on top. One TV show actually did this with the original Xbox. Well, uh, wow. the Xbox suffered a uh, far more. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Ignominious? Sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. A far more ignominious death. Yes. That, that was a. It's weird to think about that because, like, people, like that was one of the advantages of not being in the lead. They could kill the Xbox, original Xbox and not have to think about it. Yeah. Like the original Xbox barely lasted four years. The, uh, like it launched in November of two thousand one, and its replacement was out in November of two thousand five. <laughs> And it had basically, like, they were basically done making, like, 
everyone was basically done with it by the end of by like after Halo 2 launched it was basically like why would we bother the Xbox yeah. 360 will be out before the ne- end of next year we need to focus on that and that's sort of what they did yeah <laughs> like I think the last like Microsoft Game Studios pu- uh, published game I can think of is Conquer Live and Reloaded remember that one it, of course you don't yeah <laughs> did not really play it um I was gonna say I think Halo 2 even was like backwards compatible backwards compatible if not right away very quickly I, I believe that like release. I believe Halo 1 and 2 are the only games that are backwards compatible without any sort of update well, yeah I think you're right because <laughs> I kind of <laughs> needed it <laughs> yeah it was one of those things where it's like Okay, what games are they going to want to play? Halo 1 and 2. Like, that is the things that we have to make sure run. Yeah. Everything else we can worry about later, but we need Halo 1 and 2. For the 3DS, um, it kind of seemed like people thought, oh, well, the Switch is out now. It's kind of portable, too. So that's going to be the end of the 3DS. It's not really going to go... anywhere for a long time I would suspect that we will be seeing it like really start to putter out around the end of next year yeah and I would suspect the last major releases you will see for it will be like first and second quarter 2019 yeah I mean it's still a big console for them it's still a good thing they can sell for kids that not aren't don't necessarily have a switch I mean this, it's still big you- and huge in Japan so the first major price drop you will probably see for the Switch will probably be in the wake of Pokemon for the Switch coming out. Yeah. And that's probably when they'll start winding down 3DS. Yeah, so, I mean, we're a long way off from there. But, like, there's there's a tendency to associate Nintendo with, like, oh, like, the new thing came out, so they immediately killed the old one. And that's not usually what's happened. What's usually happened is that when an old platform is dead, when their new one comes out, it generally has more to do with the fact that the platform had already died by the time its successor comes out. Yeah. Like, the N64, by the time the GameCube's dead, wasteland, utter wasteland. I I believe there might be an N64 port of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 played by seven human beings. (laughs) But that, I believe, would be the last game for it. And that would be a late 2001 game. Like, the... The last major N64 game I can think of is Paper Mario, and that came out in, like, mid-2000. Yeah. Uh, like, GameCube, by the time the Wii comes out, like, deader than the Xbox was. Like, uh, super dead. Like, super like, mega dead. Basic, uh, like, third parties basically gave the hell up on it, like, in 2004. Like, it had been losing steam since 2003. It was basically already over. Yeah, the, like, the funny thing about the GameCube, though, is it's just it's, there were like a few games on it that sold, like uh, they had to like so the GameCube sold like something like twenty something million, million, and they it, I think there were multiple games that sold over ten million copies. Yeah, it was which is like, just mind blowing. The thing I think about the most is like uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee. Which definitely sold more than 10 million copies. It's like yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, if you bought one, why did you buy it? Well, I bought it to play Smash. <laughs> but when you think about it, you look at like the PSP, which sold way, way, way more than the GameCube ever sold. And I don't think it had any 
game, any single game that sold over 10 million copies. Like, it's telling that, like, I don't think that any, I don't think the PSP Grand Theft Auto, PSP Grand Theft Auto sold that well. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Like, the closest anything came to really ringing the potential out of the PSP market was the, was Monster Hunter, and that yeah. was basically it. And, and this isn't just, like, a piracy thing. Like, just... the, like, Grand Theft Auto Liberty City Stories came out years before piracy became that yeah. easy on the PSP. It's just no one bought anything for it. I'm not sure what they were buying them for. I, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. It's very weird. But, like, an, another example, like, the 3DS came out after, like, the DS's market had been ent- almost entirely eaten by piracy, like... The DS came out, but, like, the GBA continued to get support long after. It's just, like, a lot of it didn't come to America. But, I mean, it still happened. I mean, you got, like, Pokemon Black and White that came out during those oh, Black years. And, and they still yeah. sold crazy good, so... Yeah, or also, like, people... I remember people being perplexed, like, like they are right now about Pokemon Ultra Sun and Pokemon Ultra Moon. Yeah. Wait, Pokemon Black 2 and White 2, why aren't those 3DS games... I don't know. It's not like history is is. It's not like history hasn't repeated itself on multiple occasions. Yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, like just one of those things where it's just like, huh. I mean, the freaking like, original Pokemon, at least in the U.S., came out like right around the time of the Game Boy Color, right? Uh, about nineteen ninety-eight ish. Yeah. yeah. So this is like. It's weird to look at how much Pokemon Red and Blue sold. Yeah. Like, because Pokemon Now is a crazy titan. Pokemon Now cannot scratch what Red and Blue sold. Like, the degrees to which they sold are terrifying. (laughs) Like, Pokemon Now, it's like, oh yeah, you know, combined total, like, 17 million copies between two versions. Uh, Red and Blue... That's like 17 million each. <laughs> like, it's just like, and yellow, another like 17 million on top of that. Like, the numbers are nuts. <laughs> it's. It can be like once once a game reaches a certain number of sales, you stop hearing about their sales, even though those sales are the kind of things you brag about because they're insane. Like, I, I mean, like, rec- I was looking at like the investor uh, call from uh, like from uh, Take Two about how Grand Theft Auto Online made them like five hundred million dollars last year. What? Not the game, just transactions for Grand Theft Auto Online. Like that, you had to. The, the only way you could play is if you had already bought a copy of Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> That's weird. Like, eventually, like you reach such a degree of sales numbers that no one even bothers reporting because, of course, that's still selling. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, like, what were we talking about that got me on this subject? I apologize. Oh, uh, it's about the death, the death of consoles. Yeah. Like, 
the closest thing I can think of to like a console that like die that Nintendo might have killed earlier than they needed to would be like the SNES in America. But like it it didn't hang on like it did in Japan. No. Like it just never did. Like in, in Japan they could continue making SNES games until like 1999. Oh, God. There was that white fire up, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've recounted the story of Shozo Kaga blatantly refusing to make Nintendo 64 games. <laughs> but uh like they they just sort of kept at it. In America they they didn't really have a way to extend the life. Like in Japan they had an interesting position for it where it was like, "Oh, well like older players will who have more disposable income, they pick up an N64, but younger players can only can afford this like cheaper reduced cost Super Famicom. <laughs> and like that's that's why things like Mega Man and Base exist. Where like Mega Man and Base was KG and Afune saying like, "Huh, older players picked up a PlayStation or a Saturn, but like there's a giant untapped market of younger players that just have Super Famicoms." So I'm going to try to like backport Mega Man 8 to the Super Famicom and then make some weird changes to it along the way. So let's make a terrible game for the children, essentially. <laughs> let's make a game that's way too hard for some reason. But yeah, like it's for the most part. I mean, like Nintendo was still publishing NES games in 1993. <laughs> God, like. I feel like their their reputation of like oh once the once the new game once the new system's out the old system's dead is heavily exaggerated. A little bit. Uh, Victor also asked, Nintendo is definitely going for colorful games on Switch. Look at the colors of every last physical Switch game. They're bright, often multicolored, and the shiny red spine of the Switch game case is obviously meant to stand out in a stack of games. More of an observation, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, no, oh, and he also nominates Undertale as an excellent game that shouldn't have an official sequel, and he's right. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, it play that when it comes out to your Vita. I plan to. I ordered the physical edition. Play uh, it in Japanese. Thanks to a hilarious commercial. Oh, funny. that commercial's really good. Yeah. Uh, did you see that Shigesato Itoi uh, tweeted about Undertale? No. Yeah, it was just like, oh man, like a, an overseas Earthbound fan made a game uh, and credited like Earthbound as having helped inspire him. And also, he mentioned something about like how he didn't realize foreign people had played Mother Three. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But uh, uh, Undertale creator must have been pretty pleased to see that. Oh yeah, I would imagine that he was pleased. His punch. I forget his name. What's it? Uh, Toby Fox. Thank you. But, yeah, like. Uh, Undertale is great, doesn't need a sequel. I would also, like, to to correlate with that and go back to that question, Mother doesn't need another sequel. Like, there's a reason that Itoi doesn't want to make another one. Like, please respect his wishes. Yeah. <laughs> that goes for you, fan game that calls itself Mother 4. Give yourself another name. Ooh, uh, <laughs> I don't even care what you call it as long as it's not Mother 4. Yeah, please, no. Uh... As far as the color, color ugh, colorful, I can't talk tonight. Color, colorful Switch games. Part of that is just obviously all of Nintendo's games are pretty colorful, and that's primarily what's on there now. But there's also a lot of uh, a lot of like indie games on yeah, it. Indie <laughs> games has been Heroes. 
Are you pumped right, for uh, you pumped for two-player cave story? Yes. Uh, too bad it's local only, but I will force someone to play that with me. One day I will. One day you and I will be at the same con and we'll play cave yes, story together. That will be awesome. But hey, uh, hopefully I can get somebody to help me beat the final bosses in that game. <laughs> uh, trying to think what else is on there. Like, the Binding uh, of Isaac has colors, but most of them are brown. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even then, it's still like a, and like this. It's a striking. Yeah, it, have you seen the uh, the new the the cover for the second printing of it? No, I haven't. I didn't realize they changed the cover at all. Yeah, they changed the cover, and it's just it's like Isaac with angel wings, uh, destroying all the monsters on the cover with light. Oh, that's neat. It's almost like a sequel cover. If you look at yeah, it you eye. would think. You would think. One thing I do like that seems to be happening a lot more with Switch games is just like indie games getting physical releases. Yeah. I don't know why that's happening, but I it's don't really know. neat. Like Nicholas is going like bananas. I can I can only assume that it's easier to get Nintendo to let you make physical games now. I, it must be. Because, like, I don't think I've ever seen a physical Nicholas product outside of like Cave Story 3D before. Yeah, I don't think so. But they're doing everything. They're doing The End is Nigh, which is a brand new game. Yeah, by the way, like, that, that seems to have uh, came and went without people noticing it. End is Nigh is very neat. Yeah, it's it's a very, obviously not necessarily relevant to this show, but it's a fantastic platformer. We're always rooting for the underdogs, even yeah. if they aren't RPGs. Um, but I, I think it got a... I mean, I haven't seen a ton of people talking about it, but... it. I would imagine it sold fine. It's just one yeah. of those things where I would have expected people to talk about it. But yeah, like that sneak game. Like I, I appreciate that. Like seemingly, at least in part, just because there's not like it's a system that's succeeding. Yeah. But there's not a lot of third parties, like big third parties, to compete with at the moment. So yeah. there's a lot of like, okay, stores are willing to stock whatever so that they have Switch games to sell you. Here, whatever the heck this is. <laughs> Uh, it's funny, I think, you know, I think, um, what's his name, Ed McMillan? Yeah. Obviously, probably wants lots of people to play this new game, but my god, are people still playing the F out of Binding of Isaac? It's kind of nuts, actually. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the Switch version is selling really well. It's like the first time that it's ever been physically sold to, yeah. out, outside of, like, did it get a limited run at some point, maybe? Um, I think I got an indie box. Mm, possible. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I've been thinking getting a copy eventually, and so I've been keeping an eye on it. And it's just like Amazon like, uh, was got it in stock, got it out of stock constantly. Or like, uh, to be hard to find in stores. Axiom Verge. Yes, like, that's coming to a bunch of things, but it feels like is it coming to them all at the same time? Yes. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it feels like they waited until the Switch version could exist to sell it as a physical edition. Yeah. Uh, that's kind and of say hey, ukulele is apparently still hard, hard at work. Yes, I can't wait for that. But it's kind of, it's, we've talk, talked a lot about like digital versus physical on this show in the past, but it's kind of funny that like we're getting... Uh, in this age, with lots of digital releases, we're getting things like little indie games in these nice little physical editions, which is pretty cool. It's kind of heartwarming to see them on shelves again, because you're not, like, 
been so long since like a low budget game, yeah, like a really obviously low budget game, got to be on a shelf next to everything else. And that that I always forget this. That kind of used to be a thing where like there were these smaller publishers that put out uh, some cheaper games, and you just... could be looking at Final Fight, and right next to it would be, "Hey, punk, are you tough enough?" <laughs> But yeah, that's that's an unflattering comparison. But it's 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 kind of like it feels like it's like a window back to a previous moment in time when that could happen. Yeah. But I mean, we're even getting you know, lots of different forms. You know, we got there's limited run. There's just general release things. There's indie box. It feels like a lot of the like it feels like all three uh, like uh, first parties are kind of loosening their standards of like you have to look like you have to look impressive to be on in a box game on our shelves. Like it feels like all of them have sort of like lightened up on that a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking. Okay, oh, I was just gonna say Xbox Xbox One seems to get less of the indie games, but yeah, oddly they get more of like the European ones, like uh, what is it, World to the West? <laughs> I saw I got on pre-order a few other things by some <laughs> European publishers. I don't really know what their deal is, but obviously there's a ton on PS4 and Vita and more coming. Uh, like Wonder Boy. Uh, if you miss the limited run, there is a Asian version that you can get. Yeah. So, tons of them. Also, I think that by the time this goes up, the second, like, the reclaimed copies will be gone, but <laughs> I think there's actually, they, they said that there will be, like, orders that didn't go through properly or things like that, that, like, they had to cancel them for whatever reason, like, those will go up tomorrow morning, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did manage to get the collector's edition of that. I, could I not, knew you would could, do that. I, I could not resist. <laughs> I knew you would do it. You were like, no, just get the standard. It's, no, no, it's such a nice game. I, I can't, I couldn't resist. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna say you shouldn't have. I'm just yeah. gonna say like I knew you would. Which is funny because I'm like just gonna use that version for streaming and still primarily when I'm gonna be playing it on a Switch. So yeah, but it's, it's all good. But it's nice to have the super fancy version. Yeah. Um. But yeah, colorful Switch games. It's nice. I'm glad the system's doing well. The games are selling well. Freaking Street Fighter 2. <laughs> Street Fighter 2 half, somehow did well enough for them copies. that they were like, yes, we want to do more on this. It's sold half a million copies. Street half Fighter 2. Half a million 2. copies. Physical copies of Ultra Street Fighter 2, the final challengers. I don't understand. Like, I wanted to get that just because it's like a... T- I kind of do t- too because t- I want to play Street Fighter 2 with you. Yeah, that and to be... To be totally honest, it's just like a nice... It's a nice cover. Yeah, like it's got it's really nice good cover. art on the front. And I'd like to have... Because I've gone to... I've gone... I've switched to mostly digital for fighting games just because mm-hmm. it's easier to play like that. So I would like to have like a nice Street Fighter game. So I'm probably going to do that with that. Probably yeah, soon, so... But yeah... Like that that did well enough that they were immediately like, Oh, also Resident Evil Revelations collection. Is that coming physical or just digital? Uh it the uh, basically they've done what uh a lot of companies did with PSP PS Vita collections where they the Revelations one is physical, but two is a download that you get a code with it. That's 
weird and confusing, but okay. It's one of those things where it's, I would imagine it's so that they have to manufacture a smaller cartridge. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, won I'm wondering if that's what's kind of put, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Dragon Quest fighty thingy. What? <laughs> the Dragon Quest Muso. Oh, Dragon Quest he Heroes 1 and 2. <laughs> Thank you. Brain no, brain no worky. Um, I wonder if that's kind of put the the the, uh, the western release of that in limbo, cause, since that's definitely a giant cartridge. Yeah. It's one of those things where I, it's possible they don't think they can get the same the kind of return they would need to on a western print run that they could in Japan. Which is a shame, because I think it did fine in the US. Oh, I'd imagine it did just fine. But yeah, I could, yeah. We'll see. But, uh, but hey, like, Resident Evil Revelations 1 and 2 in, like, their HD forms portable, like, that's really nice. Yeah. Because apparently the Vita version of Revelations 2 runs like butt. Uh, I'm not surprised. I've heard that actually... Uh, several of the like Vita versions of certain games that didn't come over here that they run like ass. Uh, although the yeah. Vita version of that did come over here, but there's yeah, some like some of the stuff. ones that like you heard about but never played. It was just like, oh, why didn't that come here? Oh, it's because it just doesn't run. Yeah. It just doesn't run that well. It's a it's a five year old piece of hardware, like a very impressive yeah. piece of hardware for its time, but still five years old. It's still going and yeah. They Slowly, but still they more seem indie to, stuff on it. <laughs> even J even Japan apparently is starting to abandon ship, though. If you talk to someone like Falcom's president, yeah, I'm uh, hoping they're going to jump on the Switch bandwagon. That would be very nice. They said, eh, maybe. So who knows? <laughs> they like to be weird. Yeah, Falcom often doesn't do things just because it seems like it would make sense marketing-wise. Yeah. They were on the PSP forever and the Vita, and I mean, they're doing games on the PS4, which you're like, okay, but yeah, PS4 ain't so ain't doing so well in Japan. Yeah, yeah, like it's like apparently the PS4 is in part because they are aware of their expanding overseas presence. Yeah, that makes sense. So like that's that's probably one of the most modern decisions they've ever made, where it's like, hmm, people are buying our stuff overseas and. It's easier to sell them that on PS4, so we will focus on that. I'd like, I'd like to know how well the the Falcon games and Steam are doing, because I have a feeling they must be doing fairly good business. Yeah, yeah, I have a feeling it's really good. Also, Cold Steel One just came out. That's a very, very good game. You should play it. Everyone should play it. I need to finish it. Trails of games are wonderful. I yeah, I've got the Lionheart edition yeah. uh, of 1 and 2, and I still haven't finished them because I was like waiting until I could play Trails of the Sky all the way through, and then, yeah. yeah. Uh, I need to finish a lot of things, but if you have seen some streams of me lately, I am playing lots of roguelikes. Meanwhile, I'm doing something kick. really stupid. I'm doing something really stupid because I'm basically playing... Uh, I'm playing Wild Arms and it's a remake... Side by side? I don't oh, know why I'm doing oh, that. Oh, oh, no. No, why? I don't know! <laughs> like, I just, had, I just woke up one day and was like, I really want to see what these two are like. And it's weird, because the remake has a different translation, but it's just as bad. Yeah. 
uh, it's that's funny. I was very excited to play that remake. It's like yes, this awesome game from my childhood remade and started playing. It was like I fucking hate this. This is not a great remake. <laughs> Go back and play the original. Oh wait, this wasn't that great to begin with. <laughs> but it's fascinating to me. I love the process of remaking. Yeah. I did. Uh, I did competitive playthroughs of Lunar One and Two. So. I'd kind of. If I'd been really crazy, I would have brought in like Lunar Legend and Lunar Silver Star Harmony into that, but I'm not that crazy. Since I've been playing a lot of Binding of Isaac, I'd like to go back and just play the original version of it, just for the hell of it. Also, you can since, still get it. Yeah, it's only five bucks, so I'm sure it's. I don't think it's that much different, but it's in Flash. It yeah. hasn't been deprecated yet. No, but soon. Yeah, not finally. soon enough. Yes. Freaking Flash. Uh, what were we talking about again? Did we get? Did, uh, we, did we go down this rabbit hole based on colorful switch boxes? Yeah, we did. Sweet, sweet. Okay, here's a here's another one. In the realm of video games, what is it that you want most but can't have, and why can't you have it? Hmm. I'm gonna dovetail this out of our previous discussion. Uh, I miss like the era of the why not game. Mm. Like the the middle tier of the business. Uh, as it exists in my mind, was like, man, what? Why would you make that? And the only reasonable response was, why not? Yeah. So you get, yeah. and like that, that can't happen because it's a moment in time. Like it can never come back. Like maybe similar eras could exist. They can never be exactly as I remember them because it is a piece of nostalgia broken off in given form. But like, I, I, I've been trying to sort of think of like what these games meant to me. And it was just sort of like, Huh, why did you make this? Why not? Like, why did you make a game about, like... Why did you make a Ghost in the Shell game that doesn't star any of the characters from Ghost in the Shell where you play as one of the little spider robots? Why not? <laughs> why did you make a... Like, why did you make a Dig Dug sequel that was a uh, frickin... That was a frickin' puzzle game, a fast-paced arcade puzzle game, Mr. Driller... Like, Mr. Driller games still exist, but, like, the initial majesty of why not doesn't exist. Or, like, when you saw Katamari Damashi on a shelf, and it's like, why did you make a game about rolling up a ball? Why not? Like, that that is what I want to come back, and mm. that can't really come back. There's a good one. Why did you make a mana game that where you put the, place together the world yourself? It uses, like, a combat from a a brawler has a weird storybook style to it and is very strange. Why, why, not? The hell not? why the hell not? Why did you make like three different action RPGs, none of which are connected by plot or mechanics in like the space of two years? Mm. Why not? I'm thinking of Brave Fencer Musashi, Threads of Fate, and Legend of Mana, all of which are different action RPGs and all of which came out within like two years of each other. Like, that, that period of, like, like no game can cost us so much that we can't just say why not and toss it out. Why did you make Jumping Flash? Why not? <laughs> why, like, if I go down, like, a list of PS1 games, it's like, why does this exist? Why not? But why does Croc 2 exist? Uh, because Fox Interactive did not know how to die. 
think they had. I think there were several attempts at a Fox Interactive at various points. Meh. Oh man, they published the Page Master game. Oh god. Perfect for young me. Yeah, like that, that, like there's something magical about just like small Japanese companies you never heard of again making strange things for no really, no readily apparent reason. Basically, uh, I miss boom periods. Yeah. I have a good thing that I want that I can't have. What's that? The indie box physical version of Hollow Knight because I missed the deadline to sign up when you could get it. And now, wow, you got wrecked. Now the only way to get it is ridiculous prices on eBay. Which so I you're saying to you'll pay. break down in a you'll break down in about a month. No, <laughs> it's coming to Switch. I'm just gonna wait and hope that it gets a pick up that version physical because, version because yeah, it's rumored that that may happen. So I'm gonna wait on that. But uh, yeah, side note, also an awesome game, uh, RPG-ish, Metroidvania. So highly nice. recommend that. Nice. <sighs> but yeah, uh, like things you can't ha- want but can't have. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn for the Switch. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> it's a nice thought, though. A version of Uncharted Golden Abyss that does not have touch and motion controls. I thought that they patched that at some stage. Did they? Yeah. I love the sheer confusion in your voice there. Did they? Keep talking. I have have to do things. I have to look up unrelated things. (laughs) Definitely unrelated and Uncharted. Yes. Uh... But yeah, no, I could I could just yammer on about my thesis about why not games like Devil Dice. That's a weird game. I think that was technically originally a Yorose game. Let's talk about the net Yorose. Well, I think some of that, there's a, a lot of that in indie games, at least. Yeah, but like I know too much about how many indie games are coming out. So it's like, oh, here's another game that's a roguelike Metroidvania. Yeah, well, yeah, There, there's a lot of, okay, that this style of game is a hit, so I'm going to make my version of that, which Not, Like, I'm sure that bit, each, but, to yeah. each individual, they they matter a lot, but it's like, to me, coming through them, it's like, oh, I could I could maybe do with less rogue, of these. Like, roguelike rogue, rogue elements, roguelite. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, like... Weirdness filtered through it filtered through the fact that like there were still only a handful of publishers, so you could so like any time you saw something with Art Dink's name on it, you were guaranteed to be very confused by what came out. But oh, I just want to note that I have been making fun of indies using the word roguelike a lot, and now I am playing all the freaking indie roguelikes. That's all. I have a friend that every time we uh, go to PAX, like. They do their very best to sort of needle everyone that says that they're making something that's either a Metroidvania or oh, has God. a roguelike element. Oh, Not in a mean-spirited way, but still just sort of like, a, ah, so, how's yours different? Go to PAX and walk around the indie booth and take a shot every time someone mentions Metroidvania or roguelike, and you will get you alcohol be, poisoning. 
Like, by the time they find you, you'll be dead, but they'll be trying to escort you from the show floor yeah. for being that wasted. Which, obviously, based on my previous statement that I'm playing a lot of these, a lot of them are good, but there yeah. are so I just, fucking I just many wish of them. There were, I just wish that there was my a God. broader pool of influences. Some indie developer, knock off, no one can stop Mr. Domino. How about you do something insane like that? I, I feel like a lot of them are like, oh my god, Binding of Isaac. I could be the next Binding of Isaac. Or yeah, something. or like, I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure that most of them come by it honestly. Like, I find the like I love this kind of game and want to make one like it. It's just like, yeah, and I'm sure it means a lot to them. And I don't want to like single out any individual where it's like, oh man, you did this, you did this just because other people did it. But at the same time, it's just like. I, as an outside observer, cannot see your passion. All I can see is, oh, I've seen a thousand of these. Yeah, <laughs> and I think for s some people may look at it from the outside and be like, oh, they want to do something easy. Uh, but these <laughs> it turns out it's never easy. Yeah, these are not easy to make because there's a lot Procedural of procedural generations. Really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard. And if you try and half-ass it, your game is going to be poop. You can't you, just people will notice that you yeah. where you skimped out. If you think these developers are just like making a game, it's like oh, I can make just these few things, and then the rest of the game will make itself. No, it's it's pretty, it's pretty complicated. I would imagine that to some extent it's like I only have so much in terms of like either personal artistic talent or access to artists, so yeah. I need to stretch what art I have. But like that that's not just I'm being lazy so much as this is the resources I have. Yeah. I mean you may say to me, Well, the original Biden of Binding of Isaac was made in a short period of time. Uh, yes, but you probably haven't played that version. You've probably played the version that's been evolving for years. Yeah, like, it's it's like Binding of Isaac, as it was initially released, is like a 1.0, and we're on, like, version 4.0. Yeah. Like, Binding of Isaac, like, Rebirth, Afterbirth, Afterbirth Plus, like... Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about the initial... Like, Rebirth was actually a remake based on, like, the expansion, like, Wrath of the Lamb, I think. Yes. There's like there's been a lot of versions. Like the original had a fair amount of stuff in it, but it was a like there's only so many items in it. And it was also like it was something, you know, made in flash in you know, by an artist. Yeah. And by and large what I heard is it did things that you should not be able to do in Flash. <laughs> yeah, like it was a very <laughs> like it was clearly someone who had also been working with that like tool set for a very long time, probably more than any sane human should. Yeah. But like it's one of those things where it's like you can also tell by virtue of the fact that like if you go in to the options and like it specifically has a use joy to key if you want to bind the if you want to use a controller because we don't really have any other option. Yeah, like <laughs> I just there's there's a certain amount of like I just I understand those projects are important to you. I want you to succeed, indie developers, but I also, just, you know, maybe maybe cast about for different influences, I guess. Well, and we're starting to get more 3D platformers, so that's nice yeah. to see. That's what I want. Yeah, I, I feel like that's that's really what indie gaming has done for us. It's going after like I don't want to say like the abandoned genres, but the neglected genres would probably yeah. be better. Cause so when are you gonna when are you gonna play some Skylar and Plux? Sometime soon. 
<laughs> and that box thing that you showed me. Uh, I don't know if I want to play that. Why would you not want to play that box game? I don't know. It looks wonky. <laughs> yeah, but you're a box. What do you want? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's a game called Unbox Newbie's Adventure. Like, play... I look at that trailer and can't think of anything I want more than to play as this ridiculous box. Man. It's this ridiculous box. <laughs> and that's a game that has a freaking physical edition. Yeah. FYI. Isn't that Unbox great? Newbie's Adventure, where you play as a box, a postal box that is delivering itself. Like, you're going to stream that at some point, and I'm going to spend the entire time screaming, My Boy's a Box! <laughs> A box! Damn oh you, god. a box! <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I've allowed us to go far off topic. Well, to get us back on topic, a good Simpsons RPG. There's a, a, a good thing I would love, but can't have. Because That's never going to happen, but it would be no great. One could make a good, no one seems to be physically capable of making a good Simpsons game, except whoever made Simpsons Hit and Run. Yeah, Radical Entertainment's been dead for like five years, so... Uh, like, I... <laughs> all, all the Simpsons games, pretty much, absolutely every one of them, they are so bad. Let me tell you about a childhood raised on Krusty's Super Fun House. Uh, you ever play Simpsons Wrestling? Yes. Barely even a wrestling game. It made me very it made me very sad. <laughs> you ever play Simpsons skateboarding? Probably. Barely even a wrestling game. Wait, no. <laughs> you ever it's, played it's Bart vs. the World? I think I played Bart vs. the World on an Amiga. Oh my Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a demo or something I I had. You had an Amiga to play demos? <laughs> I did. You're the one American I've ever heard of who had an Amiga. I think, well, we had, let's see, we had, uh, whatever the hell the Atari computer was, and we had a Commodore, and then we upgraded from that to an Amiga. There's like a billion Atari computers you could be talking about. I had, I had, uh, I had like every, uh, non-IBM related computer until I was in high school. It's fascinating to like even think about the fact that oh, you, it used to be that you could have like so many other things that were not PC compatible. Yeah, as the, as the term was at the time, PC compatibles. Had had multiple of them. No Apple though. No, just Macintosh. Never that an Apple like two or Apple soul. three. To never have like an Apple two, yeah. Uh, one of my, uh, one I I did come in contact with an Apple II GS, which is a very interesting little yeah. computer. Actually, I love that little thing. It's kind of amazing. It deserves sweet. a better life. Than Imagine an Apple II, but it had the SNES yeah. processor for some reason. But hey, bring <laughs> this back to the initial topic of Apple's terrible software is compatibility. That the initial pro- <laughs> is that the initial topic? We talked about it early on, but now this is rem- reminding me of the time Apple switched from the 040 processor to the PowerPC processor, and then I had to go through that again when they switched from the PowerPC processor to the Intel processor, and then I had to go to it again when they dropped the compatibility software that let you use PowerPC software. And now I'm going to have to delete all my 32-bit apps, apparently. <laughs> yeah, now I'm looking at, like... 
The the 2DS is an amazingly weird system because it had like an Apple II on a chip, and then the rest of it was like it used to be SNES's processor. <laughs> weird. But it had fairly full Apple II compatibility. It's just like it was also it it ran a like custom customized version that oh this isn't Mac OS. It's like it had some other weird name, but it was basically Mac OS. Yeah, weird. Well, I think what's going to be in my future is probably. Instead of a Mac laptop next, I'll be buying a generic laptop and putting Linux on it and being all hipster. Oh, man. Which Linux distro, though? <laughs> well, you, you know, Ubuntu is, probably, Ubuntu is probably the nicest and easiest to use. But, you know, there's, oh, definitely. There's, there's a case that can be made for things like messing around with SUSE. Um very excited for you to sit around doing using nothing but Debian. Uh, going, yeah, I was gonna say going old school Debian. Um, I think CentOS's butt, so I wouldn't use that. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what is the most unfriendly possible. <laughs> probably oh. CentOS. I just don't like it. It's but which is probably by design because it's basically uh, the free version of Red Hat. Which is no longer free. Well, now I'm just thinking about, like, there has to be at least one that basically refuses to have any reasonable graphical user interface. It's <laughs> uh, probably some hipster distro. Some other offshoot of Fedora. Yeah. Oh, Fedora. Ugh. Hey, Red Hat's an offshoot of Fedora. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of any of those. I, li- I like the Ubuntu deviant line yeah Ubuntu is very is very user friendly it is certainly as much as uh, as freaking as Linux can be I do have a there's there's a part of me that just like every time I'm booting into Ubuntu all I can think is like every time I click these windows they don't actually like they they will pop out but they can't actually shrink back down to the taskbar and it's bothering me (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of weird things to get used to in Linux like installing stuff from a package distro that's actually really nice, though, when you get used to it. It's it's extremely nice, but if you're if you're used to installing software uh, different ways, it's, it can yeah. take some time. But it's definitely yeah. nice because it's an easy way to update everything. Uh, it's a lot safer to update everything that way. It's terrible though, because nice. I'm like a GUI baby, so I've had to spend the last like six months getting used to like, okay, now I have three terminals open and I'm doing two things with them. <laughs> well, Ubuntu at least I think you can do all like the you can the, you can get away with Ubuntu and, with not doing that, yeah, because they have the the little graphic utility thing. But you get used to like it's so much faster if I'm using if I'm using the ta- the the command line. Oh yeah. Also, far fewer backslashes than Windows for some reason uses all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing. I don't know why. That's the I don't, funny, funny thing. Why people they, don't really understand with the terminal. It's like it's faster than a graphical user, user interface. So like much faster is, sometimes. Is simpler is a simpler metaphor, but there's a lot of situations where it's like I want to quickly be here and have all this information right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, this is very far afield of what we're looking at. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next question, which is one from Budai. Do you feel sometimes simpler music can be more effective than complex music for RPGs? I feel like a driving melody can uh, can in areas that are meant to 
be exciting. A simpler like song that has that's more built around a driving melody will do more for you than ambiance. There. <laughs> yeah, I I think it all. I think this is very game specific. Yeah, and even situation specific. Yeah, that too. I think it depends on a lot of things. Like if you if I look at something like uh, Final Fantasy fifteen and say would simpler music have worked there, I say no. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Like well it's it was uh crafted by Yoko Shimomura, who is like I'm not about to disagree with her about how to compose a game. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean if I look at something like a retro styled RPG where someone's trying to use some like complex orchestration and it just doesn't fit yeah there's probably some cases but it it, yeah it really depends i think it's a matter of you gotta fit you gotta fit the music to the game instead of trying to think in a lot of these broader things like if the game requires more complex music i think a good compute composer will see that and compose that way and I think if you're getting, in, if you're seeing some games where it, it does, just doesn't fit, maybe it's just not. You know, I don't want I don't like. Uh, I know basically nothing about music. Uh, I don't want to say like terrible composers, but there's probably some mediocre composers that m- may be at play if you're if you're seeing some games where it seems like something simpler would have worked. I'm sure it happens, no. but like I also like very rarely think of like a game with music where it's like this is bad, and I don't know how this composer happened. Yeah, like it's you should. It doesn't feel like it's very hard to like isolate out a game and think like this has a bad soundtrack. Yeah, I don't think that really happens that much anymore. Yeah, like we're not back in the era of the NES where you could imagine yeah. like a soundtrack had in fact been implemented wrong. There's a, there's a ton of great composers out there, and it's. Honestly, probably a competitive market. Yeah. So. But yeah. And I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about. I, I can't. Like, I, I can't even really think of a, a game where this applies, where simpler music would work better. Like I can. It would be hard. Like it's very hard to disentangle music from the mood of a scene. So yeah. it's very hard to look at something and just be like, "This really should have been simpler." Unless you're, like, someone who really understands music better than I think either of us yeah. do. Maybe Budai does. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, also from Budai, do you miss unique save screens where everything these days uses a PS4 user interface user interface save screen itself. I do. That PS4 interface takes me out of the game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah. I, I like the matching UI that older games had, where it's like, oh yes, this this feels like part of the game, whereas every time that like I open up, say, FF12 Zodiac Age, and it's like, oh, this is the PS4 interface. Yeah. It's like, I'm more taken out of the game than I would have been if it like, matched the UI of everything else. For sure. It's This is probably a case where Sony is trying to make it easier for developers where, you know, you basically just make these API calls and do a save and you don't have to... Interfaces are so much... Interfaces are so much pain. Yeah. <laughs> That's the tragedy. Is like, I can, I can... I regret that they're gone, but I can't even begin to... Like, I'm not even going to begin to argue that yeah. they shouldn't be because it's just like, oh, 
you don't want to sit down and yeah. make that. Listen, <laughs> I do the programming, and it's all back-end related stuff, and I have no, do not want to do any interface sort of programming. No, thank you. Yeah, no, like, I, I'm, like, a tiny, I'm a minnow in a tiny pond compared to you, and even I'm looking at that and, like, no, no. Yeah, nope. You, nope. Pass. It's, it's not a good time. Yeah, well, like, I mean, when I had to do stuff like that when in school, I just was mostly using, like, Java's built-in ugly user interface stuff. It's one of those things where it's like, if you have something built in that does the job for you, it doesn't make sense to reinvent the wheel unless it yeah. doesn't do the job you want it to do. It's like, I was sitting down messing with something earlier today, and it was just like, input, like, it was literally like, input, uh, add some sort of input delay. It's just like, oh, well, I could, I could set about making that entirely myself, or I could look for built-ins and try doing it that way. <laughs> Because the the built-ins will probably keep time better than anything I'm making. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's what happens a lot with homogenization of that nature. Because it's like <sighs> the most the most you could hope for is like you get a slight increase in like players feeling like the game's more contiguous, but then like you you might introduce new bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and really, it's nice it's nice to make things easier for developers little things like that. I'm sure they appreciate it. So, Anytime a programmer is not sitting down implementing a save system from scratch, it's time they can be fixing actual bugs. Yes. Absolutely. It's one of those things where it's like, I, again, I really want these to come back, but I understand that they never should. <laughs> <laughs> and you see less and less of them now anyway, just because half of them are auto-saving anyway. Yeah. is fine by me. Auto-save, back it up to the cloud automatically. Thank you very much. It's weird playing FF12 when it auto-saves at every load screen. Yeah. That doesn't feel like it should exist. It feels like I've been beamed some sort of cheat device. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I need a way to back up freaking saves on the Switch. Nintendo. I'm sure it'll be like quietly introduced like three months from now on an update and people will yeah. be complaining about it for the next year while I have to keep explaining to them that no, that exists now. <laughs> like I saw someone, I, I saw people being like, why is there no way to like view everything in the Switch eShop? There is, there's been for three months. <laughs> like it's down in the corner, it just says view all games, it's right there, just, just press it, just press the button. But I don't wanna. I read the patch notes. I don't care if you didn't. <laughs> also, you can just browse that store on your computer, and it works really nice. Yeah, which is also a nicer way of doing things. Yeah. And that's true of most anything, because game console controllers are not meant for browsing that. Yep. It's a wonderful little system. Yes. Alright, should we wrap this up so I can go play some Splatoon 2? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking about the Switch. Alright, so... Us, let us seal our agreement with the ad addition, the adding of chocolate to milk. <laughs> Not sure if you remember that Simpsons gag. 
Uh, which episode was that? That is the season six premiere, the one where they get a pool. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Can we have pool dead? Can we have pool dead? Or just, like, gives up immediately and it's just like, let us seal our agreement with the adding of chocolate to milk. Didn't they do something similar with, uh... Where they kept asking take a smash blast more? Thank you, thank you. But they actually do that for months. Can you take us to Mount Splashmore? Whereas this, like, they just threatened to do it for months. Did they do that with Itchy and Scratchy Land, too? Or is that something different? Uh, it's been forever since I've seen Itchy and Scratchy Land. Oh my god, I love that episode. It's really good. With a rye wit like that, I could be an action star. <laughs> Some things never well, die. Welcome to Itchy and Scratchy that Land, that where nothing can possibly scratchy. go wrong. Possibly go I wrong. Hate, <laughs> I hate to think what could be happening at Euro Itchy and Scratchy Land. <laughs> my last check bounced. They need to buy wine for my children. <laughs> run out of Bort license plates again. Seems to be my son's name is also Bort. Oh my god. Oh, Simpsons. I miss, I miss when it was of that quality. Yeah. Uh, we were trying to stop, but then I started making Simpsons jokes. Oh, that's fine. Oh, Simpsons. I'm trying to think of how how many seasons are they on now? Twenty something. They've twenty seven. So there, there's probably there's probably more bad seasons than good at this point. There have been we eclipsed that like in season like seventeen or so. Uh, well, I mean, the newer ones aren't as bad. Yeah, no, it's just, there are more that, like, I would look at and be like, I have no particular compulsion to watch this. Yeah. Then there are, like, okay, they're currently on season 28. Oh, jeez. see. I mean, the show... Oh, no, wait, I should say they finished season 28. Season 29 starts soon. Oh, they really lost a lot with the death of Phil Hartman, let's be honest. Yeah, that's a, that's usually a good, like, marking-off point. Like, there are some decent episodes in season 9 and 10, even if they're not great seasons overall. And, like, once Phil Hartman dies, you basically, like, know that, oh, this is about to get really... Yeah. Because he was so many of the, the greatest characters on that show. Yeah. Like, not just re- reoccurring characters, like... Uh, one-off characters like the guy from the monorail episode. Lyle Landley. Lyle Landley. But yeah, I mean, like, they, they lost an important information delivery system without Troy McClure. Yeah. Because they can't just pop in a Troy McClure, uh, like, in, in, informational tape, and it's, just, <laughs> it's him blathering on about something either being bizarrely competent, like the uh, tri-polyfiber stucco lad. <laughs> Like, the half-assed guide to foundation repair. Or they could uh, just go completely nuts and go, uh, and just have him, like, the food chain! <laughs> it's just, like, the the amazing image of, like, every kind of animal imaginable pointing to person. 
Like, there's some really surreal animals when you freeze frame that. I think there's, like, beavers. Oh, my God. You've never even contemplated eating a beaver. <laughs> uh, apparently, season 28 had the first hour-long episode for some reason. Huh. Um, I don't know. Let's stop. This is getting sad. The movie was fun. Yeah, the movie was fun. The movie just turned 10 years old, by the way. Wasn't the movie supposed to be when the series ended? That was when they originally... Like, when, before the show had, turn, had turned into being, like, often... Sometimes bad, often mediocre. Uh, like, the idea was like, oh, the movie will close it out. Wasn't the case. Uh, I think there was a... But, like, they were co- kicking around a movie in, since, like, season four. Season four has a, uh... Camp Krusty, the premiere of season four, was supposed to be the movie. Oh. And, like, you can kind of tell how it would have stretched into three longer acts. And, like, there's, there is a stronger B-plot there that could have been much longer that's just... But, like, they decided they couldn't really ring enough out of it, so... Mm. I didn't bother. I think they threatened a sequel movie at some stage. I could see that. I'm just really sad the movie's villain was not Hank Scorpio. Yeah, they did that apparently just so that they could avoid like con- like people feeling like they needed continuity. Uh... Like it, it's a shame because Albert Brooks was amazing and like Russ Cargill is a great villain, especially the bit like there there has never been. A more perfect summation than like, like, uh, uh, have you ever tried going mad without power? It's terrible. No one listens to you. <laughs> but yeah, I, we've been talking about things that aren't even kind of related to what we should be talking about. Let's get this over the. Let's get this over with. Like, say some things about what you've been playing, and then we can stop. Okay. <laughs> Uh, like I said, I've been playing lots of roguelikes, I've been streaming some of them, I've been playing Getting Back into Has Been Heroes, which I was going to review and never did, and I'm glad I never did, because I finally learned a lot more about the game, and hmm. some of the inter- in- intricacies, so I'm definitely enjoying it a lot more, and finally got another successful run, and I've been doing much better in it, so... <laughs> and apparently it's got like this it's got like its own s- subreddit it seems to have gotten a, its own cult following which I'm pretty happy That's to good. see like even I, I saw um, the guys from Z-Boyd picked it up recently and was really enjoying it so nice. and I think one of the Penny Arcade guys called it like his game of the year even, yeah so. that would that would probably bring in some people <laughs> yeah so yeah maybe that's why it, like it kind of picked up a little bit, but yeah, that's nice to see. If you're if you're unfamiliar with Hasman Heroes, it's a weird roguelike game from the makers of the Trine series, where it's the best way I can describe it is a mix of uh, like Plants vs Zombies and hmm. Darkest Dungeon, I guess, because I guess the way you explore maps is similar to that. But you like move around these three characters and try to stop lions of monsters from killing you. It's it's really good. It requires a lot of strategy, a lot of careful thought. And it's just really good. And um, yeah, so 
uh, as you play it, and even if you die, you eventually unlock like more stuff. Uh, like I just unlocked a luchador, which is awesome. Yeah. Because there's three characters which kind of fit into three different like I don't want to call them classes or something like that, but I mean, you can unlock different versions of those three characters, which I'm finding play very differently. And and you know after my latest playthrough, it unlocked a whole new set of shops and different like nodes you can find on maps. So the more you play the game and the more you have success with it, the more it changes. Which is kind of, let's say, the binding of Isaac's style. Like, for these roguelikes. Like, the more you play, whether you're successful or not, you unlock more stuff. And the game kind of changes as you go along. Like, uh, previously, for me in this game, the, you would go through two maps and then get to a final map with the last boss. And now it's three after the last playthrough. And I've seen people later in the game where it's like eight which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the crazy thing about this is I saw, like, um, uh, Frostbite Games, the maker of the games, have, like, a website with, like, a Hall of Fame of people who 100% of the game, and I'm pretty sure it's, like, seven people. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, only, I think only on PC, PS4, and Switch, and no one on the Xbox One. There was one platformer I think no one had 100% of it yet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, it, it's definitely a hard game, but it's really good, and I um, I don't think... I'm not really doing reviews anymore, so I don't think I'm going to write a review of it, because it's... it's Retired. Kinda, yeah, but it's kind of hard to write one, a review of this kind of game anyway, so I don't think I really want to do it. So... Yeah. But... Uh, I streamed a bit of that and entered the Gungeon, Binding of Isaac, Nuclear Throne. I'm going to be doing a lot of random roguelikes. And yeah, I'm sorry that I haven't been there to yell at you. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be streaming those on occasion and likely failing in spectacular fashion. So keep an eye on the RP Gamer Twitch channel for that. It's a beautiful, it's a lovely place. Yes. And have you been playing anything interesting recently? Other than Wild Arms. Like, I, I got this this desire in my head because I was talking to someone who was playing Wild Arms 2 again, and Wild Arms 2 has, like, a curious hold over my brain. Like, I adore it, even though I understand that it's not very good, and have understood that, in fact, basically since it was new. Hmm. But it was also basically every single thing I liked as a kid mashed into a single game. Because it was the Wild West, and it was space, and it was, like, a freaking like, kind of Power Rangers superhero transformation, and, like, a million other things that didn't make any dang sense, and I loved it. And so, like, that as a whole, like, forces me to... And, like, everyone, play, everyone played Wild Arms if they were an RPG fan who had a PlayStation. And, like, they either they had just finished FF7 and, hadn't, and didn't have any other RPGs to play yet... Or, like, we're waiting for FF7 and didn't have any RPGs to play yet. But, like... It's one of those things where, like, it has a lot of hold over me, even though I don't feel... I feel like the closest thing to a really outstanding title they ever had was Wild Arms 3, which I don't think very many people played compared to some of the other ones. Yeah. But, yeah, like, because it... Because Wild Arms 1 and 2 and 3, to greater and lesser extents, all hold special places in my heart, like, I have this desire to reevaluate them, so I've been sort of 
pecking at Wild Arms won both of its forms. Hmm. It's it's also just because, again, I'm fascinated by the process of remaking and what different developers think is important to take out, leave in, and how, how faithful they feel they need to be. Like, Wild Arms 1 so far seems faithful? Like, the dungeon layouts of the prologues are not at all the same. But, like, they mostly do the same things and go through similar motions. Hmm. What's weird to me is mostly that the prologues to a man seem to all end slightly earlier or with less information in the remake. Hmm. Like, this is this spoilers for the Wild Arms 1 prologue. Uh, Wild Arms 1, uh, Rudy's prologue, has him, like, he, he fights a monster and he kills it with his, with his gun... And the village he's been working at is like, oh man, look at that man, he has a gun, he's gonna bring a curse upon us all. Get out. And like, in the PS1 version, like, it ends with him being banished from the village. The second you walk out of the village, he, uh, after the, uh, after the town meeting, like, he's, he's tossed out. The PS2 version curiously chooses not to do that. In the PS2 version, he's not actually tossed, like, you the his prologue ends right after he kills the boss before you find out that he's being t- like that he's definitely being banished from the village. Huh. Or like uh, in the PS1 version of Jack's intro, he uh, goes into like some ruins and uh, like it's it's talking about how he's seeking power for some ill-defined reason in both versions. But like at the end, he like finds the. Uh, how do you even pronounce these? E-L-W. I'm going to presume Elv. But he finds the Elv technology, and it, like, talks about... It talks about angels, and, like, in the PS1 version, his, like, his companion, Handpan the Windmouse, is like, oh, yeah, Edelheid used to be called... Uh, like, had... It, its name comes from, like, angels and such. Maybe you should check there. In the PS2 version, he just leaves. He doesn't seem to have any idea where he's going. Huh. And it's very strange. Like, the translation's not actually any better. Like, uh, like it's just different. Like, every reference to power in the PS1 version is absolute power in the <laughs> PS2 version. Or, uh, like, uh, I, think, I think both Rudy and Jack are both referred to as Dream Chasers in the PS1 version, which is a, a, kind of a nonsense title, but it's a little evocative. And I think they're both just called Wanderers in the PS2 version. Hmm. One of those things where it's like, the things that change both in translation, again, it's not any better, it's just different. Uh, and in... Oh yeah, the PS2 version also starts with like a weird in-media res opening. Very hmm. strange. Like, you, you see a bit of all three of the primary characters of Wild Arms 1, like, coming into contact with characters you won't meet for hours and hours. But... Uh, like, for some reason, it shows that at the opening and then shows the prologues. It's very strange. Weird. Yeah. So, again, I'm, I'm just fascinating, fascinated by the process of remaking. Like, the high watermark are things like Lunar 1 on from Sega CD to PS1, like, polishes a game that, like, had potential, but is altogether, like, kind of busted and strange, and polishes it into a much stronger product. Or, like, Resident Evil 1, which was a great game for its time, but was starting to show its age, and, like, you know, 
they've remade it and made a game that's pretty timeless. Like, Resident Evil 1 Remake is amazing, and, like, original Resident Evil 1 is still great, still a classic, still very fun to play, but, like, it can't match the le- anything like the level of polish of its remake. I love me a good remake, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so do the I. The end. Windmills do not work that way. Good night. <laughs> what? What? I don't... Don't you remember that gag? No. It's an old Futurama joke. Uh. <laughs> oh, Futurama. I miss you. It's, uh... <laughs> It's just them. It's just like the news reporters reporting on a heat wave, and like it's like, oh, the these uh, these turtles are migrating to like, uh, frickin' Holland, and they like, uh, and the one of the reporters is just like, maybe those windmills will keep them cool, and like the other one just screams, windmills do not work that way. Good night. <laughs> And just immediately, summarily ends the broadcast, which is really what I was going for. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, in that case, peace out, people. Windwheels do not work that way. Good night.